Culture eats strategy for lunch and inform cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. I'm excited to have today as our guest, Malcolm Hawker. Malcolm has a long experience in the data space, having recently been at Gardner and is now at Prophecy as one of the lead evangelists and thought leaders. Malcolm, welcome. Excited to have you on today. Me too, Sid. I'm excited to be here. Culture is near and dear to my heart and looking forward to diving into it. And Malcolm, you run a podcast as well. So if folks want to just quick plug on your podcast too, please. Yeah, and 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 we had talked about doing a short intro so I can do a little bit of intro on myself, but but thanks for the opportunity for a plug. That's awesome. Uh, I am the host of the CDO Matters podcast. So obviously podcast centered around the needs of CDOs. It's my goal to increase the tenure of chief data officers at organizations around the world. I do that by providing insights and best practices and having lively discussions with other thought leaders, other big brains in the space who can help CDOs overcome some of the big issues that I know we're going to talk about more today. As you said, I'm Malcolm. I've been with Prophecy about a year and a few months. Uh, My role is one mostly of evangelism. It's my job to raise the awareness within the market of the need for data management, the need for data governance, the need for data strategy, and certain data culture. Uh, I joined Prophecy from a little research firm called Gartner, uh, where I was uh, an analyst for three years. I'm the co-author of the last three master data management magic quadrant documents. So I was uh, involved in a few MQ processes, which was kind of cool and Focused a lot of my research at Gartner around MDM, around governance, uh, some issues like data sharing, the strategy for sure. Uh, that was was awesome. Um, loved my time at Gartner. Uh, I was able to become a Gartner analyst because I had a long career in data analytics. I have actually run an IT organization. I've had a, a large team at a, at a $2 billion publicly traded company where I managed most of the IT functions there. I've been a consultant. I've been a Bender. I worked for a long time for this little data provider called Don at Bradstreet, where I held the title of distinguished architect. I think that's how I got all of the, the gray hair. So I come with my knowledge, data and analytics, honestly, uh, honestly, through a lot of failures yeah. <laughs> when it comes to MDM and governance, which are a couple of my, 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 my two biggest, you know, focus areas from a research perspective. So I'm, I'm excited to be here and have a chat. And obviously a uh, very well-tenured career with a lot of um, interesting data stories. I will say I I had a lot of fun listening when I was at the gym on Monday, listening to one of your podcasts talking about data mesh. I think it was a solo podcast. Lots of, uh, so probably topic for another day, lots of interesting feelings by a lot of people on that topic. But today, one of the things that when we were getting together to uh, talk about, hey, well, out of all the different topics that Malcolm has a lot of big feelings and a lot of big experience, a lot of failures on, you know, which one might we start with? And so it was this interesting table stakes conversation where we feel like things should be table stakes, but my gosh, are we still having the same conversation 20 years on? And why is it that 20 plus years into data, are we still talking about measuring business outcomes? what what is going on from your perspective? I have yet to figure it out. Yeah, I, I I've honestly I've yet to figure it all out. But it was that kind of mindset, right? The same old, same old. 
the same approaches, the same recommendations, the same best practices, the same industry events, the same, 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 and the same analysts mm-hmm. and the same insight was a big reason why I actually left Gardner. Because after three years, I found these repeating patterns within what what Gardner calls inquiry, right? The conversations I was having every day with with CIOs and CDOs and VPs of data and analytics. And a lot of the, those inquiries were starting to get over time, highly repetitive, Mm -hmm. where I would get a question from a senior data leader about, okay, well, how do I get better stakeholder data? How do I, you know, how do I define a roadmap? How do I prioritize Mm -hmm. in analytics? Initiatives. I've got 5,000 things to do. So many of those questions came right back to, to business value, right? Like you prioritize by the highest value things, right? You get engagement by selling the business value, right? You, 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 you get people supporting you because you're able to quantify what you're doing. And I would make the recommendations to my clients at Gartner. And I, and I felt at a certain point, like it wasn't making any difference. The things that I was saying either were not sinking in or they were incorrect or they were, I don't know, wrong. <laughs> so I was, after three years, I, I, I was, I was doing a lot of introspection to try to figure out, okay, is it the message? Mm-hmm. Is, is it me? The messenger is, or is it the medium or maybe it's all three or, or something? Because I felt like if I had an opportunity to move the needle, I was in the place to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like, you know, maybe if I was a senior partner, partner at Deloitte or Accenture or something else or, or, or the like, maybe you could argue that equally influential, but, but from the perspective of, you know, the gravitas, right. I I felt like, okay, I'm in the place to be able to make a difference and I'm really not making difference. Why? Then I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, I don't think it's the message, Mm -hmm. right. Because this just makes sense. This idea that you have to quantify your efforts in the data analytics space and you have to tie it to business outcomes. I mean, that just passes the smell test, correctly. Right? Like how do you, how do you, it's like world peace. You're, you're never going to argue that. You're never going to say, oh, no, we're not about business outcomes because you can't, right. right? So it wasn't the message. And I don't think it was actually about the how either. Um, I, I don't think it was the messenger because a lot of people just like me were saying the exact same things, right? Whether it was a guard or outside guard, but we've been saying a lot of these things for the same time, for the same, for a long time was pretty, pretty, really smart people, smarter than me even have been saying this stuff. So I concluded, well, maybe it's the medium. Maybe there's a better way to tell the story. Maybe there's a better way to impart the knowledge. Maybe times are changing. Maybe Gardner analysts aren't as influential as I thought they were or important or whatever. So I had an opportunity to join a small software company where I could kind of take my learning at Gardner and basically do everything I was doing at Gardner, but do it through a different Do it through podcasts mm-hmm. like this one and podcasts like my own and through white papers and blogs and go to industry events and whatever smoke signals <laughs> yep to try to try to get the story to, 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 to try to to help so that's a big reason why i left Gartner. but to get to the heartier question of why i don't know i've got some theories a lot of working theories that i have yet to fully validate but There's a lot of potential reasons here. Some of them could be cynical and some of them could be kind of jaded and negative. Others, I think, could be a little more rational. But I do know that there's never one answer to this. There's a lot of different answers that I think we need to poke around and and, and probe at and and kind of break them apart one by one. Well, and I think the fun fun thing from our conversation two weeks back is that we each had different ideas around what that could be. And we are probably both right. 
And there's probably 12 others that we haven't even thought about because I think generally this is, you know, the, the way I, one of the analogies I drew in that conversation is kind of like fitness, right? We have known, yep. we have known a long time, a long time, you know, what it actually means to live a healthy life. Now, yes, we absolutely are learning better ways to quantify that, you know, just like in the last hundred years, understanding cholesterol and, and different things for cardiovascular health. We didn't know that, but the basic ideas of exercise, you know, your inputs, what you're eating, that, that's existed for a long time. But yet, how many different fitness methods are out there? How many different, you know, gyms can you join? How many different regi you know, regimens right. might you follow? So yes, I think there, there's, there's you know, the cynical piece, but there's also, you know, the probably just yeah. a base level of existence piece. But, you, you know, you, you had some ideas there. So where do you want to start on what this might yeah, be, let's, on, on what might be the impediments here? <laughs> let's, let's start breaking it down. I mean, one, to me, there's, there's some low-hanging fruit mm -hmm. um, that I think could be potentially easily proven or disproven by, you know, surveys or, or, or the like. And honestly, I think that's part of the problem here is that, is that we, we keep asking these questions about, you know, do you measure business value of data governance or of MDM or data quality? Yes or no? No. And then the, the, the results are abysmal and we just move, move on. We don't actually ask why in a lot of these surveys. Why are, right? And I, and I, think, I think some of the low-hanging fruit, one, lack of incentives. I mean, this, this, to me, this is, this is kind of a, a starting point, you know, like this kind of ties back to the, you are what you measure. Mm -hmm. And in the case of data leaders, generally a lot of the incentives or most of the incentives are going to be tied to the to deployment of technology. We do know that based on the last CDO survey conducted by Gartner, that upwards of 25% of CDOs actually now have P&L responsibility for digital transformation initiatives. So there are changes afoot to make CDOs more effective. Counting. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do see some things changing there, but I think at a high level, I think you could easily say that a lack of incentives, right? Like, yes, CDOs may be getting bonuses that are tied to company performance, but are the day-to-day, day-in, day-out, month or every other week, the paychecks, are they actually tied to business performance? No, they're probably not. And that lack of incentives, I think, is, 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 is compelling. And we could... We should probably do a little bit more digging there. Not you and I, just us as an, as, as, as an industry. That would be one, certainly one starting point. Beyond that, I, I think that there is a bit of a leadership gap in, in, in the CDO realm because the role has grown exponentially mm -hmm. over the last few years. We've gone in the span of three to four years of 10 to 15% of companies having a CDO to now almost 70%. And... I think for a lot of companies, particularly those that have staffed internally out of managerial roles, out of kind of more doer roles when it comes to data, a lot of those folks have been promoted into senior leadership roles. And I think for a lot of them, um, they're, they're new into leadership. Um, I was at a conference last week, a CDO conference, the CDO IQ conference in, in, on the MIT campus in, Bo in Boston, Cambridge technically. Mm -hmm. And a good example is in the federal space, a lot of federal departments have actually mandated that you have to have a CDO. So there's a whole crop of brand new CDOs that are new to the role, that have never been in leadership roles before, that are probably more operators than strategists. And honestly, in data leadership roles, you need both. You need to be, you need to be an operator and a strategist. And I think in, in our world, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're tend to more align to operator 
Well, um, if I can know, provide like were... a slight bias there to see if this this kind of fits with some of your observations. At a prior consulting company, the data team I ran, I had a preference, not always, but I had a preference for hiring consultants that came out of the business. So we had a lot of yep. folks on the team that ended up with economics degrees. Bingo. They were they were marketing. Yep. They they became technologists in the data space in pursuit of the problem. And and that's exactly one of the things I've seen. The number of CDOs that I've worked with where they are inherently technologists, they want to build the widgets, they want to this, 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 this. It's like, okay, that's fantastic. You want to do Informatica, but what is that doing? What hang on. Yep. And and what that leads to when you have operators or technologists, mm -hmm. right? That obviously results in a focus on technology and not business. That's problematic. What it also, what it leads to, I see a lot of is, is looking at problems through the lens of kind of what I would say is a bottoms up approach, right? Where, where there are problems that identified and the way to solve that is to start at the mm -hmm. bottom, meaning you inventory all your data, you glossary, all your data, <laughs> you catalog, all of your data, and you start at the bottom, right? And this is kind of where technologists naturally start. They start at kind of the lowest atomic yeah. level and kind of work their way up the value chain. Whereas somebody on the business side would generally start the problem and, and, and work from the top down, yes. right? And try to kind of reverse engineer from these negative outcomes or positive outcomes in that case, try to figure things out. But that's another reason why I, I don't think a lot of data, well, I know, we know, it's not a thing, we know uh, a lot of data leaders are not quantifying the impacts of what they do day that they out because they're mired in the technology and they have this mindset that it's impossible. I actually said, I heard this last week, almost verbatim when I was having conversations at the co conference, it's impossible to track direct impacts to cost savings or revenue through better data. I actually heard that. Yes, phase plan. But I think that that kind of it ties back to, you know, a, a tech technology centric view of the world where there's an, a cause and effect view of the world. Because technologists tend to look at things that way. You, you, you pull this lever and something mm -hmm. happens, right? Business folks, on the other hand, kind of inherently know that just about everything is a modeling exercise, right? And just about everything is, is indirect impact, right? And even a salesperson selling something, yes, they sold it, but was it because of the salesperson or was it because of the value of the brand or the perceived value of the solution or the weather that day? Who, who the heck knows, right? There's never, ever a precise one-to-one -one correlation pretty much in anything that we do with business. But just so, so that we're not, that's yeah, another. just so that we're not picking on the technologists the whole time, right? Yeah, because, no, 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 but no, I was no. going to say there's something, you need to be you both. You need to be both. And, and, but on that note, like the, uh, where, where you were just going with that to add a, a layer to it, the, conversely from the, from the business side, you know, one of the things that you and I both observed is like this, this mode of self-reflection, right? So you can look at like, yes, business folks and, and, and the, the operating side of a company knows why and what they should be doing, but then are they actually being self-reflective of what they're doing? Like, you know, culture becomes, yeah. comes rights and rights become religion. And then pretty soon we don't ever move to, to self-reflection and asking why, you know, and should this change? So. I love it. I love it. That's what we need more. We need more self-reflection. The word I've used often to describe what you just said is humility. Mm -hmm. And I, maybe that's not the right word, but certainly encompasses what you were just saying. So, you know, technology focus versus business focus is another reason why we don't quantify business value. A another is, uh, this can be partially blamed on data leaders and often not blamed on data leaders. Maybe blame is the wrong <laughs> word, but role ambiguity. 
right? This is, this is a, this is a big one. There are a few reliable sources of data in our world that speak to this. Randy Bean, Tom Davenport do an annual survey through Randy's consulting company, New Vantage Partners and Roll Ambiguity was, it was almost always kind of bubbles up as one of the bigger problems, one of the bigger roadblocks. Because these data leaders are getting into VPs of data analytics roles or CDO roles, and the roles are not well-defined, right? Because you, you're dealing with organizations that just don't understand data, right? And they just, they're, or maybe it's a brand new role, which is true of CDOs. I mean, we're still talking generally about a relatively new role mm -hmm. here. So, but to me, this is very much a partnership, right? If you are, if you are talking to somebody about a CDO position, and you're at the level in your career, you're, you're mid to late career, and you're, you're being seriously considered for somebody that may be in the C-suite or at least one step away from the C-suite. You shouldn't let yourself get into a role that is poorly defined. You just should, right? And you, and you need to have the role nailed down. And if it's not nailed down, right? And if it's not clear, and you don't have clear lines of, of account accountability and responsibility, it can just lead to one of these, right? It's the Marx Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not me. It's that guy. It's, it's just her response. It was not me. So, so if there's role ambiguity or lack of clarity there, I think that's another reason why, you know, what, what's my incentive to go and start to measure business impacts, particularly if I'm not being held accountable to it, or if I'm not getting incentivized by it. So those are a few of the, the really high level things. I think getting, getting, getting back to leadership, I don't blame a lot of CDOs for not measuring the business impacts because that, that takes, that takes strong leadership. That takes some bravery, right? To, to go into an organization and say, you know, I'm going to start measuring this because there's always potential that you don't move the needle, right? There's, there's always the potential that you can't prove that you're actually driving value. And that's a scary thought, particularly in, you know, the more dysfunctional your organization. And a lot of these organizations are. It, it takes a certain amount of bravery and leadership to stick your neck out and say, I'm going to start measuring this because I'm 100%, 110% confident in my team's capabilities. And so um, that was probably one of the biggest yeah, some, learnings for me early in my consulting career. And I, I bet you experienced some, actually, I bet almost everybody in consulting has experienced this. The veil drops the more clients you get into and you realize you don't actually have to be good at business and good at what you do to have a successful company. There is a lot of, a lot of truth to Malcolm Gladwell's book yep. and that sometimes it's just yep. luck. Sometimes it is just luck. The saying I have, and one of my old friends, who's the CEO of another company, I won't, I won't name him by names, but maybe he's listening to this. I gave him advice one day. And I don't think I'd come up with this yeah. saying, I'd already been saying it, but it's just kind of stuck and it's kind of galvanized through this one conversation that I've had with a friend of mine where he was asking for kind of career advice and kind of was getting, felt like he was stuck, mm -hmm. right? And that he was like kind of stuck in these director roles and wasn't able to make the jump to the senior vice president who wanted to be a CDO and hadn't made the jump to CDO. He has by now, by the way, he has made the jump to okay. CDO. And we had a conversation. I told him once, I said, Hey, you know what? There are no magic beans, <laughs> right? Like. Like by the time you get to mid to late career in data analytics and you've been doing these things for a decade plus, you, you, you have the skills, right? You, you, you've got the foundations, you know, how the pieces work, you know, how the business works, you, you know, these processes, you know, the systems, you know, the discipline, and you, you have what it takes to be a CDO after a certain amount of time. And that kind of aligns to what you were, what you were just saying. And sometimes it's just luck and timing and often more than anything, it's who you attach yourself to. But separate issue. 
So those are some of the kind of the basic reasons why maybe we're not tracking business value. The last one I would say is it's hard. Yes. Before <laughs> I get into some of the squishier, harder to quantify theories that I have, the last one would be is it can be hard. And it's, it, it's, but there's an irony here, Sid, in that for a lot of these data leaders, particularly those with data science teams, mm -hmm. which is an increasing number of data mm -hmm. leaders, what we're talking about here in terms of like quantifying business value is a modeling exercise. And who in the organization shall we ponder would be responsible for developing models within an organization? Maybe models that predicted buyer behavior, maybe models that predicted how much inventory we need to order months to make sure that we can fulfill customer demand, right? Who in the organization would be building these models that made confident guesses about where the business is going to be two or three, four months from now? Well, it's the data and analytics team. So if you didn't already <laughs> see where I was going with this, this is a modeling exercise to say, you know, if we improve our data quality by 15%, what's that going to mean to our order rate or our sales close rate or any of these other rates, right? These are models that you need to build. So, but that's still, I'm still hearing, man, this is really, really hard. I'm surprised I hear that, but I still hear it. And I guess it's, it's a reason there's a perception that this stuff is hard. But if you're, if you got a data science team and you're hiring people to do this stuff, and if, even if you don't have it on your team as a data leader, I go find whoever does FP&A, financial planning and analysis in your organization. Because if you don't have those skills, then they're going to be over there as well. Because there are people in your organization, I guarantee you, whose job it is, is to guess how much money the business needs in another six months. I, you know, in, in the theme of adding to the list of potential challenges yeah. that f folks could be running into, and this is the beauty of this conversation, we're each going to posit different things that it could be. Listeners are going to relate to n number of those. Might relate to all of them. They might relate to some of them. But one of them, back to role definition, I do think that there's a, a vast discrepancy in how CDOs are defined. I also th think oh, yeah. in that, you know, that journey of self-reflection, um, what another observation is companies and, and the culture of those companies is, can both be entirely rigid and lack the pursuit of the solve. How do I solve things? So I might go hire a data scientist and I might go see or build a data science team and see what I can do in pursuit of the many models to test out ideas on better service for my customers, new products or things like that. But then if I don't, what I also see frequently is if I don't hit what I wanted to achieve and desire to achieve in bringing that team, that I also didn't look at what I might've also won and gained in my knowledge towards that. So, so I might not have gotten to that prediction around or the understanding around what, you know, what attributes make a great customer, what attributes make a great market, what attributes make a great salesperson, and then thereby get better revenues. But if I was good and self-reflective, I might've learned what was broken about the company that I couldn't then get that. Because the interesting thing, I think if people ask more questions like, well, you know, there's actually enough proof in the market that I should be able to answer that. So now why can I not answer that question? And, and that, that hiring that team actually provided valuable insights if I was willing to listen to a different answer that came out. So. No, I, 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 I totally agree. And I think it does tie back to the kind of the previous thing about maybe humility or more introspection or. I mean, and I think what you just kind of touched on partially is maybe there's a corporate culture of a lack of accountability. I've actually seen that a lot where 
it's not uncommon for the entire company to lack these metrics, mm-hmm. right? Which could lend itself to the question of, okay, well, how are these companies even surviving? I've actually seen this, <laughs> yeah. right? You mentioned this. It doesn't take much to actually have an extremely successful company. If you are fulfilling a unique need, if you've got a very unique product, or if you are in a very specified niche where you are the only one that is solving this problem, or if you do something really, really, really mm-hmm. well, right? Like, there's a lot of examples of this. Like Walmart was incredibly good at inventory management, mm-hmm. right? Dell was incredibly good at inventory management and, and manufacturing. Amazon was incredibly good at forecasting. A few things that did really what logistics still is. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is do very, very good at a few things. And I've seen companies like that where there's this kind of this quasi culture of a lack of accountability because, hey, everything's, everything's moving fine and we're hitting our numbers and don't rock the boat. Yeah. Right. And take leadership to, to, to step back and say, hey, I am going to rock the boat. I'm going to make myself accountable for this because it's the right thing to do, even in a culture that well, maybe that may not, you may not be metrics great. Had that conversation many times while I was a governor. You know, it's funny you say that. And I was like, I think there's also, I'll add an, another bit to the accountability or another dimension to that accountability piece. It also, I have seen this as accountability in the wrong direction. So it's, account, it's accountability mm-hmm. to the past. And, and so, uh, the, as Eric Reese would say, the vanity metrics, accountability to vanity metrics, but not accountability to innovation. So back to the other piece is that I, I, you know, back to the data science team example, I hired a data science team in pursuit of growing my business. And I might hold the leader accountable to the hypothesis and not recognizing it's a hypothesis that this data, this data science team is going to be able to get me build these models. And if they fail to build these models, then that's on that leader. Well, no, you're, you were in pursuit of doing and innovating and doing something new. So you actually, if you were self-reflective, you got towards that. So hold accountability, hold accountability towards the learnings and towards the innovation and understand that a lot of what people have been holding accountable to is that the hypothesis. Right. But so in, in the realm of kind of some of the squishier <laughs> reasons and maybe a little more theoretical reasons as to, as to why we're still talking about the need to quantify this aside. I'm, I'm starting to develop a bit of a theory and, and this is, this is still very much a work in progress and I haven't figured out all the moving pieces, but when I was a, when I was a Gartner analyst, I had a lot of conversations with data leaders mm-hmm. and frankly, even other analysts who generally been analysts a long time where there was what I would call a lot of finger waving. Mm-hmm. Right. And a good example of this is data quality. There is metric after metric after metric. I posted something to my LinkedIn channel a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but I posted this a, a few weeks ago. This soundbite that was taken from a, a well-distributed article that said that 80% of data scientists' time is, is wasted uh, because of yeah. data quality issues. And, and in response to that, one of the... One of the noted thinkers in our space, a gentleman named Tom Redman, said that he had, he had data that showed that only 3% of data meets minimum quality standard. I could keep yeah. going, right? Uh, and, and, and quote after quote, soundbite after soundbite after soundbite, saying the data's bad, the data's bad, the data's bad, the data's bad. And I would hear all the time when I was at Gartner, like, 
and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing now, but I would hear, well, you can lead a horse to water. You just can't make them drink. And, you know, the business doesn't know any better. And they just, they create bad data. And, you know, heaven knows what salespeople are going to do if you give them free reign and a CRM. And, and, you know, like the horse is out of the barn. Pick your metaphor, pick your analog. The data is just bad, bad, bad. Mm -hmm. And shame on you business for creating all this bad data. And shame on you for making it hard to do my job. <laughs> and shame on you for, for, for the Herculean effort that I have to exert every day just to make any sort of sense out of this gigantic pile of lemons that I have to process every day to make anything even drinkable. Mm -hmm. and, and you ask yourself, okay, a 3% of data meets, only 3% meets minimum quality standard, or if 80% of data is crap, or if 50% of data is crap, who knows, doesn't matter. How are these businesses actually succeeding? How, how are we even operating as businesses, right? If that 3% metric is an average, good grief. Like how, how do we even function? How do our computers even turn on yeah. every day? And what you, what you find when you kind of peel the onion on this, I've got a very specific de definition of data quality, right? There, I, I, Depends on who you ask, there's anywhere from four to eight dimensions of data quality. I tend to be an, a bit of an old school purist. It's, you know, it's, it's timeliness, it's uniqueness, it's accuracy, accuracy. What's, what's the third? Uniqueness, accuracy, timeliness, and completeness. And, and, but there's other ways to measure it as well. And there are well-established ways of actually measuring data quality. And when you look at somebody's sound bites, when you break it apart, mm -hmm. it's not actually data quality. It's, it's differing structures. It's differing semantics definitions it's it's differing standards for for metadata it is different database structures it's it's different locations it's it's different apis it's 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 all this stuff it's data prep mm -hmm. right it, and it's data normalization it's data standardization it's not data quality but if you keep thinking about it what you will find hopefully and what i have found is that when data people say low quality most of the time, what they're actually saying, what they're actually saying is that the data, the source data, the data, wherever it originated from, was optimized for an operational use case and not an analytical use case. Yep. I, and I right? think, and to, to underline that point, I think this is why the self-reflection piece is so important because what I think, what my observation is a lot of that three people who, who chant that 3%, that 3%, yep. they're forgetting that this data was to your point, accurately used by the business. And it is an accurate depiction of the story of us, faults and all, but faults that actually yep. help the business do what they need. And the fact that it doesn't fall into a neat and prescribed order so that I can have my encyclopedia go from A to Z, right? Yep. Like, Hey, somebody pulled the M and the N off, right? Deal with it. Or they replaced, they, were, they needed the M and the N updated. So they replaced it. Now it's got like the, you know, that instead of Encyclopedia Britannica, now you have a little bit of world book in there too, right? But it, it, yeah. it's what they needed and it's what worked and it's the story of the company. And so your job is, is, is that story accurate for what the business needs to do? In which case you need to adjust your thinking or wow, have you actually stumbled upon a nugget and the opportunity for the business to have self-realization? I could have standardized this and this, and I didn't realize the up and downstream pains I increased because of that. The nugget you found is different than the nugget you expected to get. 
Exactly. So there's a lot to unpack in what you just said, and I know our time yes. is short, <laughs> but the most important thing to unpack, are you Canadian? No. Oh, you just said oh. Zed. I, my, I, I hang around my co-host Lee is, is British and I, 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 oh, I hear him, okay. I hear so, him talk too much sometimes. And so I attend. Yes. I get it. I get it. So, okay. I'm, I'm Canadian and that's one of the tells <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of our tells. Okay. <laughs> if it's, if you know that you're maybe Canadian or British, it's, it's, it's said, and there's a few other tells yes. out there as well, but sorry, I, I, I couldn't. No worries. That. You would actually use the word like false. And, and I would just press on that a little bit because. I don't think necessarily that these often, sometimes they are, sometimes people just misinput data. They fat mm -hmm. finger data. They, they transcribe stuff incorrectly. That yeah. happens. Those are false. But, but I think most of the time here, they're actually not. And, and I think if you as a data leader, I think what we need more of, and, and it's the introspection, it's the humility. What we need more of is to understand that business processes exist because there is an assumption that they are the most effective as they mm -hmm. are. They're the most efficient as they are. They have been optimized for efficiency. Mm -hmm. You have to believe that there's a, there, you have to believe in positive intent of the business, right? If you do that, I, I think it will help address some of the culture issues that create this finger waving, because I think the finger waving creates a toxic culture within data and analytics organizations. And it's the beginning. It, it's, it's not all of it. It's just the beginning. It also helps to create things like saying, well, data quality isn't my problem, it's somebody else's problem. It, it creates this, well, we just do the pipes, we don't do the water, hmm. right? Like this us versus them. It creates things like data literacy programs where the core assumption is, is that the users are lacking skill and that they're not getting value out of data because they're lacking skill. When the other side of that coin could just as easily be, they're not getting any value because maybe your product sucks. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe you missed a requirement. Maybe your products are too hard to use. Maybe they're clunky. Maybe the data does not accurately reflect the processes that they're trying to optimize. Maybe you changed the data so much in all of this munging and wrangling and transforming and transcribing. Maybe you changed it to the point where it's unusable. The other thing I'd add to so, that list so, is then compassion, right? Because then the, the both sides actually may be stuck. So you talk about business processes are optimized. Well, then recognizing that they sometimes have constraints too, because we are just finally coming out of generations and generations of really crappy software. It was, yeah. it, it helped optimize problems, but then the, the business ran into limits in that optimization. And now, you know, in this last decade, we're finally getting better and more usable software. So thereby better and more usable data out of that software. But not everybody's moved to better software. Not everybody's moved to better systems that generate the information that our side is trying to use. So compassion, yeah. it's, it's self-reflection and compassion. Yeah. And just a lot of what data and analytics people do is aggregate. <laughs> they aggregate yeah. data that is inherently cross-functional, mm -hmm. right? That isn't because you're looking at business processes and those business processes are inherently cross-functional. But they exist individually as these little silos, thanks to Henry Ford and our kind of our manufacturing line approach to how we do business, mm -hmm. right? That's how silos get created. That's why customer may de be defined in a CRM different than is defined in an ERP, because those are unique functions within organizations that need by definition to operate slightly differently. And that's why the data is different. So it's the humility, it's the introspection, it's all these things. I I'm starting to think that we need a culture shift within data and analytics teams and it, and it needs to be pretty big. And, and, and I don't think data people are aware of the severity of the problem. Right. And I, and I think if we, if we are 
if we can make that culture shift where we start having positive intentions of our business partners, where we start to understand and sympathize some of the things that they're working with, where, where we look inside for how we may be failing instead of assuming that it's just them and they don't get it and they, and they don't know how to use this brilliant tool that I built for them. Maybe if we look at that as a product failure instead of a user failure, we do all of these things. Maybe it just becomes more natural for us from day one to start asking the question of, oh, okay, are my customers getting value from this? And I think that customer service mindset is going to be an important shift for many people. Malcolm, Couldn't agree I know more. you have got to run, but where might people find you? What, if they want to connect, what, what are the best ways for them to connect? You obviously mentioned the CDO Matters podcast. But what else can they yep. do to follow all your marvelous insights? Thank you so much. Uh, so podcast is available wherever you consume podcasts. We do put a video version out on YouTube as well. Uh, best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. I am out on LinkedIn every day, uh, writing kind of blogs, white papers, pithy insights <laughs> about how to improve your data and analytics organization. And maybe some of them aren't that pithy, maybe some of them are pretty valuable, but I have an active people that are contributing day in and day out, not just me, but a broad array of some pretty smart people in the data space. So please, Malcolm Hawker, H-A-W-K-E-R. There's only three of me on the planet. <laughs> so you shouldn't have a hard time disambiguating which of the, of the three are actually me, but please connect with me. I'll let that Well, awesome. Thank you for your time today and look forward to some future discussions. Thanks so much, Sid. Look forward to it. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening. Mm -hmm.